Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Jai. Sorry for the apologies for our delay. We just engaged Bhakta Mark in some spontaneous service. He's going to write the verse. We call that Rag Bhakti. Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Gopi Jana Vallabha Kirivaradhari Jaya Gopi Jana Vallabha Girivaradhari Yashoda Nandana Brajajana Ranjana Yashoda Nandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Vanachari Tiravanachari Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna 
Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Gita Gora Hari Po All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Shishiguru Gauranga. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Hare Krishna, reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, creation of the fourth order, chapter 2, Daksha curses Lord Shiva, text 32. Well done, I don't see a single diacritic mark out of place. Very good. Tad, Brahma, Paramam Shuddham Satam Vartma Sanatanam Vigarhya Yata Pashandam Daivam Vo Yatra Putarat Tad Brahma Paramam Shuddham Satam Vartma Sanatanam Vigarhya yat pashandam Daivam vu yatra bhutarat Tad brahma paramam shuddham Sitam vartma sanatanam Vigarhya yat pashandam Daivam vu yatra bhutarat 
for word, tat, that, brahma, veda, paramam, supreme, shuddham, pure, satam, of the saintly persons, vartma, path, sanatanam, eternal, vigarhya, blaspheming, Yata should go. Pashandam to atheism. Daivam deity. Vaha your. Yatra where. Putarat the Lord of the Putas. Shil Prabhupada's translation and purport ki jai. Shil Prabhupada ki jai. So here we have. Uh, Daksha has cursed Lord Shiva, Nandishra has counter-cursed the Brahmins, and the Brahmins, headed by Brigamuni, are counter-counter-cursing the followers of Lord Shiva. So speak, so, 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 this is speaker here is now Brigamuni. Translation, by blaspheming the principles of the Vedas, which are the pure and supreme path of the saintly persons, certainly you followers of Bhutapati, Lord Shiva, will descend to the standard of atheism without a doubt. Please repeat, by blaspheming the principles of the Vedas, which are the pure and supreme path of the saintly persons. Certainly you followers of Puttapati, Lord Shiva, will descend to the standard of atheism without a doubt. Looks like someone's at the door there. Someone wants to help her in. Oh, we got we got someone. Okay. Purport by Lord by I say Lord because it starts with Lord Shiva by Srila Prabhupada. Lord Shiva is described here as Bhutarat. The ghosts and those who are situated in the material mode of ignorance are called Bhutas. So Bhutarat refers to the leader of the creatures who are in the lowest standard of the material modes of nature. Another meaning of Puta is anyone who has taken birth or anything which is produced. So in that sense, Lord Shiva may be accepted as the father of this material world. Here, of course, Prigamuni takes Lord Shiva as the leader of the lowest creatures. The characteristics of the lowest class of men have already been described. They do not bathe, they have long hair on their heads, and they are addicted to intoxicants. In comparison with the path followed by the followers of Putarat, the Vedic system is certainly excellent for it promotes people to spiritual life as the highest eternal principle of human civilization. If one decries or blasphemes the Vedic principles, 
Then he falls to the standard of atheism. Om Ajnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurube Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manopishtang Stapitang Yena Putale Swayang Rupa Kadama Hyang Dadati Swapadantikam Vandehang Shri Guru Shri Utapadakamalang Shri Gurun Vaishnavangstra Shri Rupang Sagrajatang Sahagana Rakhanathan Vitang Sang Sajivam Sadvaitam Savatutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakhan Vitamstra He Krishna Karunasantho Dina Bantho Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Rathe Vrindavaneshvari Vrushapana Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha kalpaturupyascha, kripasantubyevacha, pititanam pavanepyo, vaishnavepyo namo namaha. Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadatara, Shri Vasadi Gaudapakta Vrinda. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Brahma Paramang Shuttang, Satang Vartma Sanatanam Vigar, here Yat the Parshan, Dang Daivang Ivo, Yatraputarad. Brigamuni says, By blaspheming the principles of the Vedas, which are the pure and supreme path of the saintly persons, certainly you followers of Bhutapati, Lord Shiva, will descend to the standard of atheism without a doubt. Hare Krishna. So, with your permission, we'll explore more of this really interesting Leela. Things are getting a little spicy in the assembly. Daksha came in to perform a sacrifice. He's carrying some emotional baggage. He lashes out against Lord Shiva. Really, no one can understand for what reason. No one, none of us who can, we're looking at it objectively. We can see that he's, he's got some issues he's been carrying. Had to get things off his chest. Unfortunately, he offended Lord Shiva. He spoke very offensively. And uh, that's very difficult. To tolerate. In fact, in the 11th canto, I don't have the reference handy, but if someone asks me for it later, I'll look it up, which would be good for me because it's such a nice reference. Um, Krishna says that the most difficult thing to tolerate are the harsh words of a, of a coarse fool. Think about that. When somebody who is just acting like a complete buffoon uh, speaks harsh words to you, it's, it's, Krishna con- confirms that's very, that's, he says it's the most difficult thing to actually tolerate. So Nandishvara couldn't tolerate it because he has a great deal of love for Lord Shiva. He knows that Lord Shiva is a great soul. Shiva means auspicious. His, 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 all of his names mean auspiciousness. Shampu, the one who does sham. Sham means good. He literally, his name literally means he does good. Um, and so he spoke up. And he also, he also crossed some lines because he actually... he. Uh, threw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, by condemning all the brahmanas. Um, and we can kind of, I think, identify a little bit with this feeling. If, uh, if there is an offense taking place and others who are there don't actually stand up for it, the truth, and don't speak out, then they also become implicated. This is a principle. This is a Vedic principle of etiquette and social dealings. 
in the tenth canto, when Krishna and Balaram go to slay Kamsa, they go to this wrestling match. And you've got to remember Krishna and Balaram, they're 15 years old at this time, is it, Mother Nidra? They're young. Okay, so they're 11, but they, they, they do grow a little bit faster. So, um, like, they probably look like 15 or 18, 16. They're not, they're not on the level of uh, Chandra and Mushtika, who are, frankly, gigantic, super-built wrestlers. And they walk into the arena. They've just killed Kuvalayapida, who is like this massive, raging elephant. Um, you know the mad elephant syndrome? Well, Kuvalayapida was literally a mad elephant. He was like frothing at the mouth, and Krishna, was it Balaram? Beat him over the head with his own tusk. <laughs> so they walk into the arena. They're going to have this fight. They look pretty small. You know, if you could just picture like Krishna, Balaram, deities, and Vrindavan. Like they're attractive as anything, but they're not, they're not like massive muscle-bound behemoths like the two wrestlers that Kamsa is hired to try to kill them. And so some of the ladies in the audience, this is there in the 10th canto, they said, this is unbelievable. This is not a fair fight. You're going to send these two boys against those two men. They're hard as stone. Anybody who sits here and tolerates this is also implicated in an offense because this is not dharma. You don't, you don't pit people from two different... You don't like a boxing match. You don't have like the 85-pound weight class against the heavyweight. <laughs> just, it's just crazy. So that's what they're saying, actually. And um, it's, it's true. So um, Nandishvara, he, he curses the Brahmins wholesale because um, Daksha, he's spoken nonsense. But you guys have sitting there and you just, you just confirmed it by not saying anything. We see it in Gauralila too. In, um, in Navadweep, there was a pastime. Uh, Devananda Pandit, he was... Um, a great reciter of Bhagavatam, and he had a great deal of gyan, but he wasn't exactly a pure devotee. And he had these readings every day of, of Bhagavatam, right? Just like we're doing. And at the reading, Srivast Pandit would come, because that's what pure devotees do. When there's a reading of Bhagavatam, they come, because they can't help it. It's, it's full of transcendental nectar. Actually, it's so full of nectar that Krishna comes, and he's captured by it. So if Krishna comes, you can see, understand the standard that's there. So Srivast Pandit, he's Narada Muni, He's a pure lover of Krishna. He's always thirsty for the Bhagavatam. So he goes. And even the recitation was not exactly by someone who's relishing Bhagavatam properly in Devananda Pandit, but still Srivas would cry. He would cry and display ecstatic symptoms regularly. Um, because, again, that's what pure devotees do at that level. And uh, the Leela called for it. So... What happened next was that some of the less mature members of the audience considered that Srivas was being uh, a showman. He was trying to put on a show of spiritual emotion, or they were offended by his display, or whatever it was. They picked him up bodily and tossed him out the door. And uh, he didn't say anything, he just went on about his life and just probably went to find another assembly of Bhagavatam reciters and hear from them, humble soul. And David Nandapana didn't say anything. He let it happen. He didn't actually do it, but he let it happen. And when Lord Chaitanya found out, he was not happy. He, he raged. He said, this Devananda, he thinks he's such a great pundit. He reached him at Bhagavatam. He doesn't know a word of what Bhagavatam means. Bhagavatam means nothing without bhakti. It's all about bhakti, and he has no bhakti. So forget it. I won't give him my association. Everyone in Abhadeep can have my association, but not him. I don't want to see him. I don't want to deal with him. And he didn't. And um, later... Devananda Pandit did some service for Vakrishwar Pandit, who was a great devotee, a pure devotee, 
noted devotee of Lord Chaitanya who would dance for uh, multiple hours on end, 24, 48 hours on end. He would dance in ecstasy. And when he would do this, Devananda Pandit, who had great faith in him, would uh, keep a space around his body so that nobody would interfere with his dancing. And when Lord Chaitanya found out about that, he said, the curse is lifted. You can have my mercy now. Because he didn't interfere when Srivas was offended, so Mahaprabhu considered he was implicated in the offense. So these Brahmins had some kind of party mentality. They had some sense that Daksha is one of our guys. And, you know, whatever may have happened with him saying things about Lord Shiva, maybe that's not so good. Prabhupada points out some of them may have thought that was kind of all right, actually, because some of them may have also felt some resentment towards Lord Shiva for being so unorthodox. He displays certain characteristics that are difficult to understand. Although we, we've discussed in previous classes how they're all symptoms of his great advancement. And so this mentality is there. So Daksha has spoken and he's, he's representing us. Even he's spoken too much and he's said some things, maybe he shouldn't have. We're not going to condemn him and we're not going to tolerate Nandishwar condemning him. So then Brigamuni steps up and counter-counter curses all the followers of Lord Shiva. So in this way, the circle of uh, blasphemy increases. <laughs> you can see, because of the party spirit, sectarianism. So um, first there's Lord Shiva, completely faultless, and Daksha just doesn't like him, just can't stand the guy. And that's his problem. It's a big problem. But because he spoke up, and it went from a mental offense to a verbal offense, and I think it was Mother Paramesh pointed out, it's actually more than a verbal offense because he actually, he, he says that you can't have any results from the sacrifice. Better you're not even here, in other words. It's, it's practically like a bodily offense. He's actually acting it out. And then, that offense is in the air. It's palpable. It's like this nasty smell. And Nandishwar can't stand it. So he stands up and expands the circle of blasphemy by condemning all the Brahmins. And Prabhupada says, it was difficult for him not to, right? Because... They didn't say anything when, when uh, Shiva was condemned. Now, the followers of, of Nandishvara, they didn't say anything when all the followers of Daksha are condemned. Of course, in real time, it's happening so fast. When there's an argument, when there's like, heated words, it's very difficult to slow things down and get some sense into things, cool things down. So seeing that uh, Nandishvara said this, Brigamuni takes it upon himself to champion the Brahmins. Oh, I'm not going to put up with this. He stands up, says, no, we're right, and all of you are wrong. And basically, you're all unclean. You're all uh, fallen to the standard of atheism. You will descend to atheism without a doubt, and everyone who follows Lord Shiva will fall to the level of atheism. So it's becoming more and more... Um, there's, there's like a level of histrionics here. It's becoming pretty hy like hysterical in the original sense, the uncontrolled emotion. All because of one offense... And then the inability of everyone else or certain other people who were there to restrain their own uh, sectarian th thought. And um, we'll find out in tomorrow's verse, Lord Shiva, he had no such sectarian thought. He actually decided to leave. And he was unhappy, not because he'd been cursed, but because he saw the whole thing was really degenerating pretty quickly. And he didn't want that to happen. He didn't want there to be uh, more isms, more faction more divisions between persons. So he left, considering that his followers would leave with him and then the thing would become pacified. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about sectarianism, what it is, what it looks like, what our acharyas have said on it, and what it means to us. Because it's, uh, it's here in the Bhagavatam, and it's in other places in Bhagavatam. 
it's here in Gorolila. It's here in 2020 in Denver. It's uh, something we have to contend with, and our acharyas have pointed out that we need to. So I have a number of references. We'll see how many I get to. But in the Krishna Sanghita, Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about the demons in Vrindavan and how each one of them actually represents a certain um, anartha or useless mentality or a series, like a, a, a collection of mentalities that are associated with a basic personality or psychological pattern. And he talks about the forest fire. He says, the 11th, he breaks it down in a purport. The 11th obstacle for the Vaishnavas is sectarianism, which takes the shape of the forest fire. Remember in Krishna Leela, Krishna swallows this forest fire to save the, the boys. All these demons in Vrindavan represent these different kinds of anarthas. And by hearing about these demons getting slayed, you actually get, become more and more purified from these specific anarthas. So if you have a problem with greed or lust or anger or sectarianism, Look up the Krishna Sanghita and see what Bhakti Notaku recommends. Due to sectarianism, a person cannot accept anyone outside of his own group as a Vaishnava. And as a result, he faces many obstacles in finding a guru and associating with sincere devotees. Therefore, extinguishing the forest fire is most important by giving up this mentality. So, right. Daksha condemns Lord Shiva and Nandishvara condemns all the Brahmins because they're apparently different. And uh, they do have a different way of operating than the followers of Lord Shiva, it's a fact. But he couldn't see the uniting principle at, at work. And then Brigu condemns the Shaivites on the same basis, the, the sectarianism. More quotes. This is Prabhupada. Chaitanya Chaitamrita Adilita, chapter 7, chapter 10, text 7, purport. Anyone who is a bona fide preacher of the cult of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu must be respectful to the real devotees of Lord Chaitanya. One should not be envious, considering one preacher to be very great and another to be very lowly. This is a material distinction and has no place on the platform of spiritual activities. Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami therefore offers equal respect to all the preachers of the cult of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who are compared to the branches of the tree. Iskon is one of these branches. And it should therefore be respected by all sincere devotees of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The context is Prabhupada is defending Iskon from the attacks that he was personally receiving for some of the adjustments he was making to present Krishna consciousness around the world. Adjustments which proved to be really genius and which proved to be adjustments of detail, not of principle. Uh, we had that nice uh, link that Sarvatma Prabhu sent us. So there was a talk of the difference between detail and principle, right? And so Prabhupada's pointing out that if you actually accept the principles of Lord Chaitanya, you should, you should honor Iskon as one of the branches. Now, for us, that also means it's not the only branch. There are other branches, and they should also be respected, which means that the, the burden is on us to find the, uh, the principles at work and see who's actually following the principles, and the details will vary. In fact, one could go so far as to say that within Iskon, the details vary. Has anybody ever noticed that? <laughs> within this room, the details vary. Within this body, these details vary. I have different ideas day to day. <laughs> Sometimes I'm very uh, traditional and conservative, and usually when it comes to me, I'm very, I'm very liberal. <laughs> it's okay. Let's show me press off the hook. <laughs> Everyone else should be very strict with himself, but he, he's, had, he's had a tough life. <laughs> Just anyway. 
there's variation in detail, um, but the principles should hopefully be the same. Otherwise, there's hypocrisy. And it's the principles which draw things together and allow there to be unity among diversity, another famous expression by Srila Prabhupada, which exemplified what he expected from ISKCON, to be unity in diversity, or diversity in unity. More quotes. This is Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Party spirit, that great enemy of the truth, will always baffle the attempt of the inquirer who tries to gather truth from the religious works of his nation and will make him believe that the absolute truth is nowhere except in his old religious book. And then, Shilapakta Siddhanta, just to make it a, a triumvirate of great acharyas, this has a whole essay called Organized Religion, which I won't read, but I'll, I'll choose a section. And I haven't decided what to choose yet, so we'll, we'll just go with something. Sorry. Technological delays. Ah, uh, yes. So he also references how the demons in Vrindavan are related to different anarthas. And he points out that Putana actually has a certain um, role to play. Putana is the, the, the false teacher, the false guru, the one who tells you to do something, but that something isn't actually pure bhakti. It isn't pure surrender to Krishna. So he says, Putana is a slayer of all infants. The baby, when they come out of the mother's womb, falls at once into the hands of the pseudo-teachers of religion. These teachers are successful in forestalling the attempts of the good preceptor, whose help is never sought by the atheists of this world. This is ensured by the arrangement of all established churches of the world. They have been successful only in supplying watchful putanas for effecting the spiritual destruction of persons from the moment of their birth, with cooperation of their worldly parents. And then he goes on to absolutely land-based organized religion. Keep in mind, this is the same Acharya who demanded that his followers create an organized structure. Uh, and he actually conceived of a governing body of commission, governing, yeah, GBC, that was his expression. And Srila Prabhupada actually affected that in ISKCON. So he did want organization. At the same time, he's talking here about how it, it does tend to go wrong if you're not careful, just to give some context. So no one thinks we're actually talking about destroying all forms of organized uh, spirituality. He goes on to say, The idea of an organized church in an intelligible form indeed marks the close of the living spiritual movement. The great ecclesiastical establishments are the dikes and dams to retain the current that cannot be held by any such contrivances. The bona fide teacher of the Absolute heralds the advent of Krishna by his uncompromising campaign against the pseudo-teachers of religion. So he's also taking this very heavy point that um, sometimes persons who are the most um, who are the most entrenched in presenting spiritual truth are also the most uh, fallible and, and tend to be the most dangerous to hear from, potentially. That's been historically the case at different times because they're actually, actually following a, a sectarian spirit. They're not actually following the principles. They've actually just become petrified into a certain form and then they follow the form over the function. And he didn't want that. He didn't, he didn't want that, but he also wanted there to be a, an institution and a structure that would actually capture the essence of Krishna consciousness. So it's a great, it's a great challenge but it's a challenge he set out for us. So 
we can see that there are so many statements from our acharyas about sectarianism, about not getting caught up in what group you happen to belong to and taking that as the primary over the truth. Right? I know Ananda Marai Prabhu has been talking about the Mahabharata and there are so many examples of that in Mahabharata. I mean, Dhritarashtra, he's so attached to his son. So whatever Duryodhana wants, he can't help it. He's just pampering him. And his whole family gets crushed because of it. He loses everything because of it. Bhishmadev, Mahajan, great devotee. He felt loyalty to Duryodhana because of the actions that he had taken previously. And he was kind of under the payroll. as a brahmachari. He was being maintained. So when Draupadi was being offended, she was going to be stripped naked in front of everybody. Unthinkable in a civilized culture. Unthinkable. He didn't say anything. Bhishmadev. He didn't say anything. And he had, to, he had to, of course, he's a pure devotee. There's no fall down for him. But he shows what happens to that. He has to, he has to lose. He has to die. The war goes a certain way. Of course, he's very dear to Krishna. And as we see here, there's a great scene where Yudhishthira falls into Maya at the end of the war, lamenting the millions who've died. And Krishna brings him to Bhishmadev to hear the truth from him because he wants to honor Bhishmadev. And he gives Bhishma his own personal darshan, which is what he wanted at that last minute. But still, Bhishma had to leave his body because this point is made. It doesn't matter who you are and who you associate with if you don't stand up for the truth. If you, if you associate with persons who make compromises on the truth, you're implicated in the choices that they've made. Karna too. And I've already talked about this in this class. Karna was implicated because he couldn't, he couldn't uh, forget the loyalty that Duryodhana had given him when he was an orphan boy. No one else took him in but Dur Duryodhana. And even though Duryodhana is pretty much a scumbag and he's going to lose the war, and Karna can get everything he wanted, he won't turn his back on him. This, this, this bad loyalty, this false loyalty ends up costing him his life. So Mahabharat and many other texts make this point. We have to be very careful. We have to be very careful who we associate with and who we stand up for. And also we have to be careful who we try to take down. Because this tendency is there to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This tendency is there in material life. That's why there are so many isms, right? Um, you know, right now we have political-minded persons at each other's throats. That's more or less par for the course for Kali Yuga. Everyone in the right wing is just less than human, <laughs> according to the left wing. And everyone in the left wing is just completely useless, according to the right wing. Just absolutely throwing out large chunks of the population, wholesale. And uh, the, the more militant forms of uh, different isms will throw out like all women, all men, all old people. <laughs> What's that statement that, was it Timothy Leary, never trust anybody over 30, he said. <laughs> well, you know, there goes Prabhupada and everyone else. <laughs> By the way, I'm over 30, so sorry. You see these, these kind of ridiculous statements, these kind of ridiculous conceptions, they come from the party spirit. The tendency of the living entity to kind of like find a little group, and it can even be like a group that's working at first, and be like, yeah, we're, we're, we're good, and everyone else is not. And because they fail then to identify what actually made them good in the first place, truth starts to follow authority. 
instead of authority following truth, right? The basis of authority is if you're actually give, giving people the truth. Instead of uh, because I am the authority, everything I say is de facto right. And it's a very fine line because Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, Bhaktisiddhanta, they were not anarchists. They were the opposite of anarchists. They wanted order. They wanted structure. Each one of those acharyas wanted this institution to exist. Each one of those acharyas saw what ISKCON would be and how it would incorporate people from all over the world and all kinds of different material walks of life under the common principles of Mahaprabhu with varying details. But they also warned against this tendency. Because Nandishwar, he's a pure, I mean, at least he's a, he's a pure follower of Lord Shiva, who is himself a pure devotee, and still he commits a massive uparad. Um, and Prigu, I mean, he's, he associates with Narayan personally in other parts of the Bhagavatam. He's also a great devotee. He's a, he's a real Brahmin. He's not one of these false Brahmins who's being condemned. But he also condemns all the Shaivites and he creates a massive uparad. And that's the real cost. Um, you lose the ability to appreciate others. And eventually you start to actually insult them and become guilty of aparad. And that's a, that's, a, that's a transgression we don't want to take chances with. That's not something you want to play with. That's a kind of fire you don't want to play with. The, the kind of burning you get from Vaishnava aparad, it takes a long time to heal. It takes a long time to heal. Potentially lifetimes and lifetimes, depending on the severity. It certainly did for Daksha. It took multiple lifetimes for him to get over this, this seed of Vaishnava aparad. So our acharyas are very careful. At the same time, we're not meant to be whimsical and sentimental and just have an all-inclusive view that everything is on the exact same platform. That's also problematic. But one has to balance between these two things by being able to tell the difference between the principles and the details. Nandishwar couldn't do that in the moment because he was very upset with the offense that had been spoken. And it's difficult when that happens if somebody is offended who's dear to you. That's why the, in, the injunction is if you can counter what was said, you should do it. If you can, if you can't, you should leave. It takes a certain amount of sobriety in that moment to look at, within and say, okay, you know what? I can't, I can't handle that. I can't stand up and actually speak the truth right now. I'm too angry. I'm too upset with what was said. So I'm going to storm out of here. <laughs> Better you do that than say something else that'll just make it worse. Um, and full credit to the person who can stay sober and can speak the truth without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Bhaktisiddhanta is doing that here. Bhaktisiddhanta, Prabhupada, they're doing that. They're speaking about the principles of Mahaprabhu, Chaitanya Vaishnavism, and they're not, at the same time, they're not throwing anybody out. Srila Prabhupada didn't condemn the other branches of the tree. Bhaktisiddhanta, he didn't condemn everybody who lived in Radhakund but he knew that a large segment of them were faking it at that time. And he spoke out against, against the principles being violated, as did Bhaktisiddhanta. And so by doing that, they, um, they show the highest standard, actually, of upholding truth without becoming sectarian. And as Shul Bhaktisiddhanta's quote points out, it's very rare for an institution or any large collection of people to actually stay free from sectarianism. It's a disease, right? Just like COVID's a disease, there's certain things you can do to prevent getting it. And there's certain things you can do that basically put a big stamp on your head that says, make me sick. <laughs> Go hang out with a lot of people, don't cover your face, have awful hygiene, um, be indiscriminate, <laughs> and you can get sick. And 
there's a disease of sectarianism that we can fall prey to. And it's historically attacked. Every single spiritual group of persons, once they reach a certain size and a certain level of establishment, once you're not the underdog anymore, you're, you're, you're the actually like the establishment, then it becomes easier and easier for there to be ways in which you're the hypocrite and someone else has to be the underdog to take you down. You see the, the cycle here? So history is a series of reformers one after the other, but they're always upholding the principles that were there. Jesus Christ said, I've not come to, how did he put it? I've come to uh, fulfill, not to overthrow the principles that you, you, you follow. Something like that. <laughs> no, not that. Um, Prabhupada said the same thing too when, when questioned by inquisitive, often Christians. He would say, we fully respect Lord Jesus Christ. We're not contradicting him. We're fulfilling what he had to say. The principles underlying Iskand and, and Krishna consciousness are the same. The details are different, for sure. But that's, that's inevitable. But um, we, have, we have the responsibility of actually trying to do that which means staying away from situations where persons are offended, which means honoring the diversity within Iskand, first of all, and within our own Sangha, which is going to be there, by the way, and that's healthy, it's actually very healthy. Um, I once asked His Holiness Donavir Maharaj, who's a brilliant Vaishnav and a wonderful person, and he stayed with us for some time as he was recovering from an illness. I took him for granted, I really did. He came here to morning program, he was steady as a rock, my God. I'd never seen anybody so steady going through what he was going through. And... Um, so I talked to him one day to seek his wisdom on some controversy in Iskand that I, I was aware of. I said, Maharaj, what do you make of this? How can I understand it? And his answer was very beautiful to me. He said, I just like to stand on the sidelines and look at how there's different people taking different opinions and I just appreciate them. I just think, what an amazing thing this is we have. That more or less was what he said. Um, he had certain, he, when I pushed him on it, he did have certain ideas of his own about the, the, the point in question. He had, he had certain opinions. But his main thing was, and you could, you could feel the weight of him having been in this movement for like 45 years at that point, um, the realization that there are going to be different opinions. And it's a beautiful thing. Because if we become monolithic, that's historically a precursor to some massive deviations. If you actually don't have dissenting opinions, if you don't actually accept people having a different point of view, not that they stand up and say, yeah, I don't really, I don't really believe in the regular principles. <laughs> I don't really want to chant 16 rounds. That's nonsense. But there are different ways of practicing Krishna consciousness. And there are different um, opinions within the assembly of bona fide Vaishnava. So he showed me that by his answer. And I, I really appreciate it. It really touched me. So we have that responsibility to, to uphold that diversity in our own Sangha within ISKCON and then outside of our ISKCON society, the greater world, and find um, the unifying principles that are there so we don't actually become offenders. You know, in the early days, devotees were quick to, to throw out all the babies with the bathwater and say, everybody who's not within this institution is complete garbage and rubbish because they're all dirty karmis. And we've had class wars in this institution of grahastas versus uh, renunciates and vice versa, men against women, all kinds of crazy things, because this is the tendency human beings have, both within an institution and from within an institution outside to the others. 
the us and them mentality. So we have to watch out for it. Otherwise, we can have this kind of mass cursing, uh, mass offending. So we'll stop now. And we'll hear from all of you, any of you, want to speak up about relevant points to this uh, class. And Amore got his hand up first. Ty goes to the runner. I was just thinking about a few things. Because um, you gave that example of Bijma in the in the you know the court when Draupadi was about to be disrobed and she was went before you know Dushashan even kind of approached her to take off her clothes she was chastising all of the crew elders she said you're just letting them letting them do this is this proper and she kept posing these questions of like what's actually dharma and no one was saying anything and and one thing Bijma said was like you know, to understand the, you know, the essence of Dharma is very difficult. So I was just thinking about how it is very difficult to understand the essence, especially when there's like material considerations, right? Whereas then we see throughout, you know, Bhagavatam and Mahabharata, Krishna is making so-called immoral, you know, instructing Arjuna to kill Karna when Karna's off his wheel and, you know, instructing Bhima to attack Drona below the belt so-called like immoral but actually because of a of a higher transcendent understanding of dharma the essence is understood that being said i i, I was also thinking just about the um the word was precocious is, it, is that the word i want to say that's the word that's coming to mind but like the precocious nature of um or a precarious nature of how information is distributed and how, how uh, viciously, you, you were mentioning just like the extreme sectarianism and how social media and just media in general, how it gives such a platform to deeper and deeper entrench sectarianism, right? So that it becomes, that, that persons in the middle become completely bewildered on what actually is, is truth, what actually is something I should commit to or, or, or embrace. So just some thoughts. Yeah, and actually, um, the way that the way that uh, the popular media structures are organized today actually promotes that because it tends to make people radical, one way or another. And when you're radical, you're emotional. And when you're emotional, you're not on the intellectual platform, what to speak of spiritual platform, which means people can make money off of you because you can be exploited because you're not really there. You're not really strong. You're weakened. Um, divide and conquer. <laughs> so um, the political level at the uh, economic consumer level, it's a, it's a powerful tactic. And we find that, um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the class that if we imagine this counter-cursing happening in real time, it was pretty fast because that's how anger moves. It's difficult to restrain yourself when you're very angry, especially if you're angry for a good cause because then you know you kind of should be angry, but if you're carrying some other stuff with that anger, it comes out real, real, really quickly. So the tendency of brahmanas, persons who are actually situated in Brahman, is to be willing and able to slow things down. 
let's talk this out, let's have a little mediation, let's figure this out. They're not reactionary. Um, devotees are not reactionary. The more advanced a devotee is, um, when it comes to situations where they, they're not like divinely inspired about the answer, they usually sit down and say, okay, what does Guru Sadhu and Shastra say? What do like my five closest associates who I would call on this topic have to say? Let's take a consensus. And it's, um, it's, it's completely different than the reaction you see on the emotional level when there's anger. It's very sober. Um, so just kind of contrasting that. Yes. I was appreciating last night when Mahatma Prabhu was speaking that he was addressing, um, he was speaking about how unless we're able to health, healthily process our emotions, then we will be reactionary. And, and so sometimes we might say or hear, like you were saying, like if we're acting emotionally, then it's inferior, it's ineffective. However, um, how we go about how we go about um, coming to the point of more of an equal mindedness it means that we really do have to understand how to process that emotion because inevitably as we see in this pastime that there will be provoking situations over and over and over again and we will be challenged so how do we switch into that um, process mode, internal processing, so that we don't get to this point where we're committing offenses. I just thought that that's important to add. And also, you know, I'm, no, that was a reflection, but um, do you have something to add? Oh, I was just thinking about um, nectar of instruction, you know, vacho vegam, manasakrod vegam, that really the, the tongue, the be tongue, belly, and genitals are all line in a line. They're all parallel. And how we speak is so important. It creates so much. And I think sometimes we forget that, that just by saying one thing, how much we can influence others, um, you know, especially on social media, how one statement can be passed along. And and it, it really has its, its effects that we, we may not even really see. So to be really mindful about not just how we're eating and sleeping, how we're practicing our devotional service, but how we speak about something or someone. Or even when we speak about the greater institution, the greater organization of ISKCON, when we're saying ISKCON is like this, da-da-da, or ISKCON da-da-da, that we're we're, it's not just some nebulous organization that's like an object, like some, you know, ob object. It's actually made up of a whole bunch of really magnanimous people. And sure, I'm sure there's some people that, we, that aren't so magnanimous. But the fact is, is that when we make broad sweeping statements about this organization, there are many people in that organization of all varieties doing many different things to just acknowledge that how we're speaking about ISKCON in general, we have to be so careful.
I'm sure that Brukumuni could have appreciated that advice before he condemned all the Shaivites. Or, yeah, because um, I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm, I've accepted that, not that I accept or tolerate it as okay, but I've accepted that the world is in such a place that there are going to be a certain amount of times that I'm going to hear broad sweeping statements that really shouldn't have been formed that way. They should have been much more precise and careful, um, which do implicate the person in an offense. And I try not to take offense at it as much as possible because I've noticed that when I do, it doesn't go anywhere good. Um, without being all right with it, if one can stay sober, then they can actually address the fact that there was a massive generalization that was made. And then they can start to hopefully do that in their own life um, and, and put the pause button on their mind before they speak out. Yeah, because we have this, we have this understanding, for example, in Kali Yuga, we're not really condemned for the offenses in our mind, uh, which is a very good thing. <laughs> I'd be in a lot of trouble. Uh, you don't actually accrue sinful reactions for the offenses done in your mind, says Srila Prabhupada. Um, but the tendency of anything that happens in the mind is that it comes into speech and then it comes into your bodily actions, which means you can't really like just sit there and, and be okay with these crazy things happening in your mind. But at least we, have, uh, we are called to control our speech because that we, we can actually um, have a great deal more authority over until the, the time when the mind is much more peaceful, there may still be some times when it's just irrational. But if we let that come out of our mouth, then yeah, especially in this age, it's going to get stuck. Um, in a, someone's going to have it like in a Facebook post for the rest of the next 50 years. And, you know, people lose their jobs. Their marriages fall apart. Things happen. Just their life gets destroyed because they say something on the record. Everyone has iPhones now. <laughs> Capture, you say one thing and your, your life is ruined. It, it can happen. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Yamadutas. There's Yamadutas everywhere. But at least we can try to control our speech. And that's, uh, that's something that Prabhupada asked us to do. That's the, it's, it's, um, it's also a function of advanced devotees, we can see. The Shastra says they have, they're free from the tendency to criticize others. They may have to as a service, but they don't want to. They don't like, like to do that. Everyone else kind of likes to do that. You know, that's a conditioned soul. But, yeah. Um, Mother Nidra? Speaking of advanced devotees. Thanks, Prabhu. So, um, there's that pastime in uh, Chaitanya Jaitamrita about um, Lord Chaitanya is cursed you know, his, he won't have good material life. Anyway, um, so perhaps it's that pastime that um, there's the benediction that um, anyone who hears will be free from uh, Brahminical curse. I don't know if it's that particular pastime, but um, I do uh, recall devotees being cursed. <laughs> and... Uh, Actually, well, Krishna's in control. The curse, so-called curse, took effect kind of thing. Um, so, uh, anyway, I just was um, curious about, you know, when you have these benedictions when you're reading Shastra, um, is it just uh, for a um, 
with somebody with particular qualification, you know, will get those uh, benedictions from the uh, Shoster or uh, will maybe not be quite completely freed from, um, you know, the so-called protection that is availed by those pastimes. Because in, externally, anyway, it seemed like, <clears throat> the, you know, the devotees were not protected from the curse, or it seemed like Draupadi was not, you know, really fully protected by Dharma or whatever. So, uh, I mean, Krishna has his hand in everything, and there's a reason behind it. But I was just wondering if, if you could say something about that. How, uh, I mean, do we qualify for these benedictions that we're supposed to... Um, see come as a result of Shastra and are we fully protected or will that only happen when we get the Audi car or whatever well There's really one benediction that's at the, at the heart of the whole series of benedictions you can get and are given in Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita, and that's the benediction of love of Krishna. And sometimes that's there, like in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. I mean, Chaitanya Bhagavat's really famous for this. Practically every chapter has like Vrindavan Das Thakur saying, if you hear this pastime, you will see Lord Chaitanya very soon and he'll put his feet on your head and you know, you'll develop love of God. And he's just like super liberal with that. One of the reasons why I really like that book. Um, it's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita too, a lot. And in the Bhagavatam, you'll have some of that, but also a lot of like, like with the Gajendra Moksha. If you hear Gajendra pastimes, you'll be freed from uh, nightmares, no bad dreams. Um, and one of the reasons I've heard from Acharyas is that it actually attracts persons who still have some stake in the material world. They want wealth, a good wife, or children, you know, whatever, they, freedom from bad dreams. Conquering your enemies, that's another one given in the Bhagavatam. Uh, freedom from snake bites, all kinds of snake uh, disturbances can't hurt you anymore, brahminical curses. Um, if you have some stake in the material world, these mean something to you. If you don't, then you're like Narada Muni when Daksha is cursing you. Sure, whatever. Or Chitra Ketu when Parvati is cursing you. Whatever you like, mother. I can be a demon. I have no problem with that. And Lord Shiva said when, when Chitra Ketu took that stand, Narayana Parasarve Nakutashchana Pipyati. The, the persons who are dedicated to Krishna um, they don't actually fear heaven or hell. They don't fear anything that heaven or hell have to offer because they can find Krishna anywhere and everywhere. And so that's the highest thing. That's the, real, that's the platform of fearlessness. There is no curse or benediction. There's just more opportunities for service at that point. So the, that's the essential benediction that reading the Shastra gives us. And actually, you don't have to be told that you're going to get that. If you're reading Shastra, you're already getting it. It's right there. You know, you're actually already tasting it. You just may or may not realize it. These benedictions are reminders for us about some degree of the benediction we're actually getting by doing the, the thing we're doing right now. It's like a kind of sugar in the, in the medicine for the child, right? When I was a child, I wouldn't have my vitamins, so they, 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 they branded those Flintstones chewable, which is like 95 grams of sugar, four grams of coloring, and like a little tiny bit of vitamin C or something, right? But I was, I was like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I liked sugar. So that's, this, is, this is sugar. 
But the real sugar is the sugar of Krishna Prema. So from the absolute platform, the devotees don't really... They may, they may, we may still have some stake in this world. I'm not a pure devotee. I'm not saying just, just don't care about everything else. But we should know what the goal is. And if something comes and we're wondering, oh, am I really being protected? Just remember, that's an, that's an inquiry from the, the relative position, right? Um, even Draupadi may have thought, am I being protected as part of the Leela? You know, none of her husbands, all of them were pure devotees, could protect her. She pointed that out. Bhishmadev couldn't protect her. Nobody could do anything except Krishna. And she had to have that realization, right? Um, although they're all Vaishnavas, but still the Leela has to play out like that. So she has this great moment of spiritual doubt. Am I actually being protected? So I guess just remember her and people like her who went through all that craziness. Because they're gonna, they go through things that we're never going to have to go through. I mean, Prahlad Maharaj, father tries to murder you in a half a dozen different ways. Like, probably not going to get that dramatic for us. But um, there may be some, you know, night before the dawn, so to speak. And uh, in the meantime, we can try to remember these devotees and, and, and remember the, the pure standard of devotional service, which doesn't care about these things that are coming and going. And how that's ultimately the benediction that our, our services will offer us anyway. We're not looking for a comfortable place in this world. We're looking for that, that thing that made Draupadi and Prahlad Maharaj and Pishmadev and all these devotees and Prabhupada able to tolerate everything else, that fixity of, of prema. That's the only, it's the only real safety there is anyway. So that's kind of my take. Hopefully it's not too pie in the sky coming from someone as fallen as me. It's 9.06. If there's nothing else, then we'll try to avoid sectarianism in our dealings and go on. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Shmad Bhagavatam ki jai. Ancha Kalpatru Pyashchak, Rupasin to be able to chapatitanam, Pabani Pio, Vaishnavi Pio, Namonamaha.